0: Hi, you handsome. Come to join the party. Hey, party people. Welcome to the Patrama Party, where we do a shot every time someone remembers a traumatic childhood memory, which is how you know that we get fucked up. So grab your salt and your lime and let's get into it. I'm your host, Remy Ramirez, and this week we're talking about the trauma of shocks, getting blindsided by shit you did not see coming. As I am want to do, I looked up the definition of shock on Psychology's Day, and this is what it said. Psychological shock is when you experience a surge of strong emotions and a corresponding physical reaction in response to a typically unexpected stressful event. I thought that was so interesting. I had never thought about the physical aspect of traumatic shocks, but that makes so much sense because, of course, we probably are surging with adrenaline. We want to throw up. We get dizzy. We can't talk. All kinds of things can happen when we've experienced a shock. And shocks can take all kinds of forms, a breakup you didn't see coming, finding out you're being cheated on or lied to, being stolen from or rubbed. Finding out a friend's been saying mean things about you when you're not around. I mean, lots of people, for example, you know, in the Ukraine and Iran right now are living through the shock of political violence. The women of Afghanistan losing all their rights is obviously a shock. Someone dying suddenly, of course, is a shock. I a remember of the Patrama Party Facebook group was recently talking about a shock she experienced when she thought she was going to a school program at an out-of-country university. So she made all the arrangements, including giving her notice at the apartment she lived in and loved and had been in for years, and then suddenly finds out that the program wouldn't be moving forward. And she had to move in with her mom and try to figure out a totally different career option out of nowhere. So in other words... Shocks can look a ton of different ways. And I think sometimes we don't even know that we've experienced a shock per se because it doesn't fall into our traditional idea of what a shock is. So to help us understand shocks better, how they work, the impact they have, how we heal from them, I'm so happy to welcome artist, therapist, and soft boy amateur poet, Selasta
1: McIntyre back to the show.
0: Hi, Selasta. I'm so glad you're back on. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm so happy to be here. It's great to talk with you again. Yay!
0: How did you do with that cancer full moon last week? It was a fucking doozy.
1: Oh my god. Well, I went to uh, a dance session yesterday and uh, got a lot of energy out. I had a nice full-on discharge of all the like, build-up, so that was Fantastic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing dance class tonight and it's such a good way. Like cancer is so emotionally intense. And a lot of this moon, this last moon we just had was about feeling secure. Like what makes you feel secure and what also simultaneously, what makes you feel not so fucking secure? (laughs) And, um, a lot of that was up for me. Like, how do I create a container? So I feel safe. Cause I don't feel safe right now. This doesn't feel safe. Um, but dance for me. And I know for you too, is a way that we just like, whoo feel so much better. Can help like get back into our bodies and get safe again.
1: Yes. The music really is like a huge guide balm, like, spirit energy that helps and i just feel like music the moon like we're supposed to dance under the full moon like it's in our dna so totally um okay i have
0: to tell you on that note last night i was doing a card poll and i was like whatever like yeah you did you not know i read cards
1: oh no i know i know i'm just i always get really excited when someone's about to tell me what card they pull i'm like oh my god
0: Okay. So I had, I, I use a bunch of different decks and, um, it was like giving me some really intense shit. You know, it was like telling me as like, like about fear and like whatever, all this stuff. And then a friend sent me that song. Fuck. It's, uh, it's a 90s song by Jade. It's that one that goes, it goes, um, Oh yeah. It goes, don't walk away, boy, my
1: love won't hurt you do you remember that one this is such a classic that's like this is like a song in like every dance jam like this is like a classic yes okay so the
0: song is called don't walk away boy classic fucking 90s jam so good anyway i was like obviously this is what i'm listening to on repeat for the rest of the night and then the next so then i was like okay do you have any other messages for me right now And like I said, I have a bunch of different decks and one of them, like one of them was like, I want to talk to you. I have a card for you. And I pulled it and it was music. And it said, music is very healing for you. And I was like, music is very healing for me. Yes.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: (laughs) Particularly 90s jams turns out. So I totally, I totally relate. I absolutely understand where you're coming from.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I love that song. It's like the attached part being like, don't walk away from me. (laughs) Please don't leave me, please. (laughs) It hurts
0: alone. Ah, (laughs) Totally. She's so like anxious attachment makes me so happy. (laughs) If if you listen to the words, it's so hilarious because she's like, I'm not ready to sit with you, but like, it doesn't mean I don't love you. Like, please don't. The way that women had to beg, it's so it's so heartbreaking. And yet it makes for such a good fucking bop, you know?
1: No, it's a killer jam.
0: Killer fucking jam. Okay, cool. I'm going to jump into my experience on this topic. While I do that, feel free to interject with ideas, breakthroughs, sassy opinions, you know, 90s jams, lyrics,
1: you know, (laughs) random downloads. Yes.
0: Or you can just hang out, eat Doritos, do a face mask either way. At the end, I'll turn some questions over to you. How does that sound? Perfect. Okay, cool. So, of course, I'm starting with childhood. (laughs) I didn't have any acute shocks in childhood, per se. My parents had already divorced by the time I was six months old, so I didn't experience their separation. No one in my family died while I was growing up. No one got bitten by a shark or anything. But... Because my parents' personalities were both so volatile and unpredictable, and I should also say both of them have mental health stuff, so everything kind of felt like I was being thrown against a wall all the time. I was constantly scared of a rage outburst from my parents, and I felt so on edge. I remember this one time I had joined drill team, and this is just one of many things, but... Anyway, we had this drill team bonding camping trip and my mom got lost driving me out there to the camping spot. And when she dropped me off, she screamed. And I mean, screamed at the top of her lungs at the drill team advisor. Oh, I was going to try to like explain why she did that, but there's no real way to finish that sentence because really she was just livid that she'd gotten lost, which was like, you know, like what? But she laid into this poor woman in front of all the other girls, which was, of course, really cool for me as well, as I'm sure you can imagine. So sometimes that rage was directed at me. Other times it wasn't. But either way, it was always terrifying because it almost never made sense. And there was no telling when it would show up. And I had no way of controlling it. My dad was the same way. I have very clear memories of him screaming and like, throwing pots and pans across the kitchen, like slamming cabinets because he couldn't find his cigarettes. One time he screamed at my brother when he was just 10, because my brother had put on a shirt that was too big for him. And my dad was like pointing his finger between my brother's eyes and screaming, you're a piece of shit over and over again. And this was just life, right? Like I was a kid trying to navigate a life that was consistently shocking and scary and unpredictable. And because my brain was still forming, it really taught me that life is scary and unpredictable. And it's kind of a series of shocking, painful experiences that I'm powerless to do anything about because, you know, at the time that was all I knew. I remember like 10 years ago or so, I started going to this Buddhist center to meditate on Saturday mornings. And everyone else would be like all zenned out. And I would just sit there for two hours and cry, just like tears streaming down my face. Because every time I closed my eyes, I would see really scary, shocking things. And I remember this one in particular, I'm like here trying to meditate and like fucking, you know, be one with the universe. And instead I have this vision that I was a little tiny bird, like a sparrow or something and suddenly I was driving a car and not like, oh, we're parked and I have to figure out how to put this car in gear. The car was going, the car was on the freeway. We were going 80 miles an hour, but I'm a fucking bird. And obviously, you know, obviously a bird can't steer and use the pedals at the same time because I'm a tiny bird. So it was like my psyche had all of this shock and fear energy imprinted on it, not because of a particular shocking thing that happened, but because I lived day in and day out with the constant reality of shock as a little girl.
1: Yelling is shocking. Like rage is shocking. Like it, like it's very dismissed in terms of like what people count as like traumatic. Like sometimes we'll call it big T trauma or little T trauma. Little T trauma is like more like emotional, psychological developmental over a long period of time type of overwhelm abuse and like yelling is absolutely horrifying for a child whose brain is developing because they're like oh my god my caregiver who's supposed to take care of me and i'm gonna die without them is literally yelling at me like i am going to die thus it becomes overwhelming and traumatic for the nervous system so it actually does count and make like it is shocking
0: ah thank you so much for validating that because i yeah. No one's ever said that to me, but it makes a ton of sense. Cause when you're little, right. It's like the person who's supposed to take care of me hates me. Yes. Right. Like I I'm very unsafe, which is like what shocks are about,
1: you know, like I'm very unsafe. And even just like the loudness and like the abruptness right. and like, like just from like a sensory perspective, like it is shocking,
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. That's that's exactly the kind of download I'm talking about,
1: baby. (laughs) (laughs) And also like hearing you speak about like, you know, the divorce like that when you were like a baby, like that's when we're at our most vulnerable. So it's like, oh, like I didn't experience any like big like shocks or like changes. You did Mm. as a baby.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Because I forget that that's right. Like I wasn't like uh I wasn't comatose as a baby, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's really good. So, as life went on, of course there would be major shocks, right? There really are quite a few that I could talk about, but these are the ones I thought might be most helpful for the discussion that we're having. The first happened when I was 16. I had just gotten my driver's license right as we were in the process of moving. And one day I volunteered to take my mom's car over to the old apartment, pick up a bunch of boxes, haul them over to the new apartment. But I didn't even make it off the block before I got in a car accident and totaled my mom's car, which as I'm sure you can imagine from from the stories I've just told did not result in my mom's level-headed, measured emotional response, right? She was furious Um, And also there was like this element of terror, right? Because we were broke. And so it was this sense that I had made this massive, unforgivable mistake. And I felt beyond terrible. I felt incredibly stupid and guilty. And of course, also the way that shocks were delivered in my family, it was like, you were not allowed to make a mistake that could cause a massively verbally violent outburst. And totaling my mom's car really reinforced this feeling that I was a burden, I was a mistake, which were, you know, those were messages that I'd gotten from my parents growing up. So I remember this feeling of depression and just weight and sadness and guilt that lasted for months, years, really, to be honest, after the fact. And of course, it also just really fucking scared me. If you've ever been in a serious car accident, you know, it happened so fast, You hardly ever see it coming and I was a brand new driver. So all of a sudden this accident is the experience that I associated with driving and I didn't drive or get my own car for three more years. I was so jumpy as a passenger. I was always afraid that a car accident was around every corner and it was crazy because it exactly echoed the way that I felt in my family growing up. Something scary could happen at any second that changes everything because I already had that belief so, you know, deeply ingrained in my psyche, instead of being like, wow, that was really scary. But I actually did learn a lot from that. And I'm going to give myself a minute. And then when I'm feeling ready, we'll try driving again. No, instead of that, I was like, the world is a scary place. We're terrifying. Shocking things are always waiting for you. <laughs> right. It just mimics the fear that I experienced in childhood. But the other thing it did was reinforce old beliefs about myself and also established new, not helpful beliefs about myself. Like I'm not allowed to make mistakes because that can have devastating effects. That was like a childhood one that came up again. I'm irresponsible. I shouldn't be in charge of things. Literally the literal thought I shouldn't take the wheel became a figurative thought like in general, in my life, I can't be trusted with important things because I'll fuck it up. Even in my career, 20 years after the fact, I would have this feeling that I didn't want the creative director or senior copywriter position or whatever that higher ranking position was, because in the very back of my mind, I felt like I couldn't be in charge of things. I shouldn't be. I shouldn't take the wheel. The second moment I'll talk about happened about six years later. I was 22 and living in Spain, and one night when I was walking home, a man who... Uh, unbeknownst to me, had been stalking me and knew where I lived, followed me out of a bar one night, walked ahead of me on my route home and waited for me in an alley next to my house. And when I crossed the alley, just like a fucking villain out of a movie, he came out of the shadows with black leather gloves on and grabbed me from behind, covered my mouth with his hand and forced me face down onto the road. It was like two in the morning or something, and there was no one around. But luckily, this sweet Moroccan man who had just gotten home from the little tea and hookah shop that he owned heard something and ran outside and basically saved me. The attacker ran off. This was a different kind of shock because unlike the car situation, which felt just sort of random, like wrong place, wrong time, this was a shock in which I was targeted. It was someone's intention to come after me. It was planned. And I had no idea, right? Like I, I was just living my life, having no clue that this guy had been watching me and following me and knew where I lived. And it had this incredible impact on me where for months I was terrified to walk anywhere alone at night. My whole body would break out in a sweat if I realized it had gotten dark. I should say this neighborhood I lived in was like a thousand years old, literally. And the streets were so narrow because they were made, you know, a thousand years ago that cars weren't allowed to drive there. So I couldn't even get a taxi home and I felt totally powerless. And that's I, I think I think that's another thing about shocks is that they leave you feeling so powerless. And since I had already felt so powerless in my childhood, this shock, especially since someone was literally forcing my body onto the pavement told my psyche. Yeah. You're powerless to these terrible things that can happen. And I had nightmares for a while. Like I had this nightmare that someone wearing the scream mask, you know, that fucked up skeletal mask from the movies was trying to rape me and all the doors were locked and I couldn't get out. It was just, it was just awful. And of course it reinforced that sense that I wasn't safe, not only not safe from, you know, bad, scary men or whatever, But more so, not safe in the universe. The universe wasn't on my team. And that's why it had forced me through this experience. And I think maybe that's something that other people can relate to, regardless of the type of shock that they experience. It's understandable that the way we might make sense of it is the powers that be want to hurt me, or the universe doesn't love me, or I'm an unlucky person, or whatever that looks like. But it's all kind of the same thing, right? This happened because my relationship to these bigger, higher entities, whether it's God or just the energy of good fortune, whatever it is, they're not on my team. There's something about me or my family or whatever that pits me against the goodness that's available in the world. So I wanna name that in case anyone else can relate to that feeling. The last shock that I'll talk about happened about five years ago. I'd been living in LA And one day at work, they called an emergency meeting and were like, we filed for bankruptcy today, which, by the way, was also a shock. But And actually, someone did nearly pass out at the meeting because she was so freaked out that she was going to lose her job. But that's not the shock I'll be talking about. I had always wanted to live out this desert escapist fantasy that I'd had for years. And just weeks before that bomb got dropped on us, I had taken a trip through the Southwest, through Utah and Colorado and Arizona, and I fell in love with it. So I was like, oh, shit, this is a sign. I'm moving to Arizona. And it felt like this incredible leap of faith. I knew no one in the tiny town I was moving to, had no idea how I'd make money, where I'd live, and, you know, nothing. But I gave my notice in my apartment, which, by the way, was a room in a turn-of-the-century craftsman in Los Feliz, which, if you're unfamiliar, essentially translates to an incredibly hard living situation to lock down in LA. Also, it was rent-controlled, so I was only paying like $850, which is also nuts. Anyway, I was like, This is me taking a leap of faith, knowing the universe is going to catch me. And I did it right. I went freelance so I could work from Arizona. I found this little cottage, two bedroom. I found a roommate, this guy who by all appearances seemed like a sweet, hardworking, honest person. And we quickly became best friends. We did the shopping together. We made dinner together. We went to concerts together And I was feeling so happy. I was settling into this new, beautiful landscape and this new small town culture and this new reality. I felt like the universe was rewarding me for making this leap and for having faith that everything would work out. And then one night, my roommate sexually assaulted me. And within moments, everything changed. There was the shock of what happened, obviously, the physical shock. For months afterward, I was so afraid that I would never be able to have sex with anyone again without going into some like, you know, PTSD meltdown. Then there was the shock of seeing a side of this person that was so antithetical to the person I thought I knew. I mean, this was someone I had talked to about how much I struggled to trust men and he had really consoled me. I genuinely thought that the reason I was meant to move to the desert was so that I could Meet him and see that there were really sweet men in the world. I thought it was this whole plan of catharsis that the universe had just been waiting to give me. (laughs) So that obviously all got turned upside down. Then there was this shock. He was the only one whose name had been on the lease. After it happened, I immediately packed a bag and drove back to LA to stay for a couple of weeks while I tried to figure out what to do next. And while I was gone, he gave our 30 days without telling me, packed up and left the house. So two weeks later, I find out that I have two weeks to find a new place, pack up all my shit and move in a town where I hardly know anyone. So the shocks really just kept coming. And there was that feeling that suddenly nothing about my life looked the same, like not just circumstantially. You know, like I thought my life was going in this specific direction. Now, all of a sudden, all the pieces just got thrown in the air and I have no idea which way is up and which way is down, where I'm going to live, what I'm going to do. Right. Like, I have no idea what my life is doing. Not just that, but also it was like, I was one person when I woke up on October 25th and a totally changed person on October 26th. Or anyway, that's how it felt. And I think that's maybe something else that people can relate to with shocks whether it's violence or assault or betrayal, whatever it is, sometimes the pain of the shock is so deep that you think back on that moment, like there's the person I was before that happened. And then there's the person I was after. For me, it was a devastating loss of innocence. I... I started drinking by myself a lot. There were days I couldn't get off the floor, like literally couldn't move. I cried all the time. One day, I remember I cried 10 hours straight. I stayed up all night crying. (laughs) And man, if there was ever a time that I felt like the universe didn't give a shit about me, that was definitely it. This bubble, I'd sort of been living in thinking that the powers that be have this beautiful plan to send me to the desert and have me meet this dude who was also looking for a place. And he becomes my best friend and shows me how good men are. And I'm having this deep catharsis. When I tell you that bubble burst, I mean, suddenly it was like, the thinking was the universe set me up with a dangerous person because it likes watching me suffer. Any faith that I had garnered in the process, which already felt like a scary, risky process fell apart under the weight of that shock to my psyche. And just like the beliefs I created about myself after the car accident, I created beliefs about myself after the assault too. Like I should have seen it coming. I somehow created it and was responsible. There's something wrong with me that I can't tell when people are untrustworthy. I have, I I essentially had to fight, right? Like not to give into those beliefs because they haunted me. So what has helped me heal from the shocks I've experienced? I'll start with one I talk about all the time and that's EMDR. EMDR was literally created to help heal from the trauma of shocks. It was created for war veterans and it basically goes into the brain And helps your logical mind get access to your traumatized thoughts and beliefs because otherwise those beliefs are just chilling on the right side of your brain where your emotions live and logic can't literally physically can't intervene and be like, actually, just because you were in that car accident doesn't mean you're going to be in a car accident every time you get in a car, right? If you're interested in EMDR, definitely talk to your therapist about it. After my former roommate assaulted me, It super helped me with the belief, which I'd actually been carrying for years, which was men don't love women. I'd carried that for years and years. And within months of doing EMDR, I could really feel it shifting to, yes, some men are shitty, but there are also some really great guys out there. Another one that's been super helpful for me that I mentioned last time is reframing through talk therapy. Because I'll bring something to my therapist and I'll be like, here's a thing that's true. And my therapist will be like, is that true? Can you think of times when that hasn't been true? And she's right every time. Or I'll be like, this thing happened and that means everything is shit and the universe is mean. And my therapist will be like, or maybe it means that you're experiencing something really painful and you need extra support right now and to be gentle with yourself. Mm. Because the thing is, when something shocking happens, our brain goes into an emotionally traumatized response in an attempt to keep us safe, right? So it'll say things like, you know, all things related to this terrible thing that happened are dangerous. And you just stay completely away from them forever because it's all fucked. Everything's fucked, right? Like To a traumatized brain, it's better to have black and white thinking after a shocking event because to your brain, that will help you stay out of danger, right? If a dude attacks you when you're walking home, then I'm never leaving the house or I'm never interacting with a dude again because they're all predators to your traumatized brain. Those are reasonable responses that will keep you safe, right? But recently, my therapist shared something with me in our reframing work called the ABC model, and it was really helpful. So A is adversity. So let's say the adversity is I didn't make the basketball team. A leads to B. B stands for belief. So the belief might be, I'm no good at anything and no one wants me. Then C is consequences, the feelings and behaviors that result from the belief. So it might be, I feel unwanted and humiliated. So I'm never putting myself out there and risking rejection ever again. Right. But what if you changed the belief to, okay, didn't make the basketball team. I'm going to take the next year to really practice and get better. And then I'll try again. Or maybe it's, okay, basketball isn't my thing, but I know I'm talented. I'm going to move on to the next thing and give that a try. In both cases, the adversity is the same, but the outcome changes when you change the belief around the event. It's the same with shocks. So it could be like, I got attacked walking home. That's A, the adversity. A leads to B, and for me, B was because I got attacked walking home, I'm not safe in the world, the universe hates me, and men are fucking bullshit, right? (laughs) And then C in that case was I got attacked walking home, means I'm not safe in the world, the universe hates me, men are bullshit. So I'm anxious all the time and fighting off a depression. And even though I'd love to be in a relationship with one, I'm really standoffish with men because I'm afraid they might be secretly trying to assault me. But it could look like this. A, I got attacked walking home. B, I believe that there are some dangerous men in the world for sure. And some really wonderful men like the tea shop owner who literally put himself in harm's way to save a woman he would never met in his life. I'm so glad I was safe in the end. I'm incredibly lucky, right? Like the experience is exactly the same, but the belief is totally shifted. So then C is like, Well, even though no one should ever have to go through that, I feel so grateful that I wasn't raped or kidnapped or whatever the fuck else that sketchy dude was planning on doing. I've learned to be more aware of my surroundings to help keep me safe in the future. And I'm definitely keeping an eye out for guys who have energy like the tea shop owner when I'm dating because those dudes are the kind of men I want in my life. I know that with the help of the universe, I can overcome any kind of adversity, right? Like it's just like a totally different end result. So in other words, reframing can really help shift our beliefs, which will in turn shift how we show up in the world after a shocking traumatic event. Now, when it comes to growing up around volatility and how shocking that was in the everyday, the big thing beyond releasing the grief of it, was restoring a sense that I was safe in this world. That was the number one impact that those shocks had on me when I grew into adulthood, the sense that I wasn't safe. There are a lot of ways to work with that feeling, but here are the ones that have helped me. The first one is ASMR. And I know a lot of people think ASMR is super weird. And for me the ASMR with the squeaky balloons or the hands in jello or whatever those those don't work for me maybe they work for other people i mean obviously they do cuz they're very popular but for me the whispering ASMR is basically like an antidote to all the screaming i experienced growing up plus a lot of ASMR is really supportive it's like i'm giving you a hair treatment or I'm your best friend and I'm doing your makeup before you go on a date. (laughs) It's like someone's taking care of you, right? Like grooming you, giving you special attention and being very soft spoken and gentle with you while they do it. It helps calm my nervous system so much and makes me feel like I'm in this cocoon of care that's so opposite of what I experienced every day as a kid. So that's one you might give a try if childhood felt constantly shocking. You can find a gajillion ASMR videos on YouTube. And there are also just like audio ASMR tracks you can listen to on Spotify if you have Spotify. Another one that my therapist taught me years ago is to just literally hug myself. Physical touch can be super calming and soothing. So when I feel that sense that I'm alone in the world and things are scary and I'm freaked out, you know, and it feels like I'm on that shock loop, from childhood. Just literally hugging myself has really helped me remember that I have my own back. I love me and I'm safe. Another one I'll share is mindfulness meditation. The goal of mindfulness meditation is to get your brain to realize you're not where you were in those scary moments. And you're also not in a scary moment in the future (laughs) that you're predicting and getting freaked out about, right? You're in your room, right? Or in your living room and you can feel your couch underneath you. You can hear birds outside. You can smell coffee coming from the kitchen. You tap into the sensory experiences that you're having in the moment to get you back in this current moment where you're safe. Even though your mind is saying there were shocks around every corner then, there'll be shocks around every corner now, right? It brings you back to this present moment and out of those fears that we can have on loop when we got so used to living in chaotic homes. And the last one I'll share is a prayer that a witch I work with gave me years ago. Her name is Tess Whitehurst, in case you're looking for a good witch to work with. I can never remember the exact words, but it was essentially you put a hand on your heart, close your eyes and say, This is a moment of suffering. All beings experience suffering. May I be gentle with myself in this moment. I love it so much because it helps me with that feeling that the universe is against me, right? It reminds me that everyone on this planet experiences suffering. I haven't been singled out with some vendetta that God has against me. Of course, people do experience suffering to differing degrees. I won't argue with that. But no one gets off this planet unscathed. And just because I was blindsided by something painful and shocking, doesn't mean the universe is against me. It means I need extra support. And that's something I can give to myself.
1: Okay, Celesta, how are you doing over there? I'm I'm doing great. Yes. Thank you so much for, for sharing. I noticed in hearing you speak, you know, putting my feet into the ground and just um, that sort of like soothing self-touch that you already noted as so necessary and helpful for meeting our bodies when they're so full of memory and pain and all of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it. I, when I read that psychology today definition where it was like, talked about having physical responses, I was like, Oh, yeah, totally. And no wonder these kind of sensory based soothing techniques work so well, it's because there is this really physical aspect to feeling a, a, a shock trauma, right?
1: I think we're at the point in like mental health where people are um, not necessarily people, but like, insurance companies and treatment centers, etc. Like, there's mental health and there's physical health but from like a somatic psychotherapist perspective they're literally one in the same like we have sensors in our body in our heart in our brains in our gut and they get Input from the external, and then that activates our, uh, you know, adrenaline, cortisol, and it makes it all go through our body and then brings these sensations, which we then associate with emotions. And then we make, you know, thoughts and beliefs about ourselves and the world. So it's literally the same. Right. Right.
0: They're the same. Let's be honest.
1: <laughs> We're just a full complex system, human sensitive baby.
0: <laughs> well, I certainly am, anyway. i'm so excited to get into these questions with you uh because this is like truly something that like the more that i thought about this topic which you and i you would kind of come to me and said like this is something i'd love to talk about and i was like damn this is something that has been in the back of my mind but when i started writing about it i was like fuck this is so real for me so The first question I have is what are the different ways that shocks can impact our mental state?
1: Yes. So shocks fragment us. Like um, one of my favorite practitioners, Janina Fisher has a book called healing the fragmented parts of um, trauma survivors. And so she shares this uh, kind of like model of our, How our psyche or our nervous system, whatever you want to call it again, one in the same in some ways, it literally becomes fragmented, like broken, like a mirror into these pieces of ourselves and those pieces of ourselves get broken up when we experience a shock because the external input, whether that's, you know, like from a car crash or an assault or from a betrayal or all of the examples that you listed, that experience is so overwhelming in like uh, of like the fear and like fear is adrenaline fear is cortisol fear is like a chemical that moves through our body and brains it's so much it's overwhelming so our brain in an in a attempt to protect us from the overwhelm of that moment or moments fragments us into these pieces almost like an inside out if you've ever seen that disney movie one of my favorites all the different emotions the anger that it fragments us into these parts that then can run our life wow oh those parts all have you know, you can call them symptoms, you can call them expressions, you can call them survival resources, right? Because they are trying desperately to protect us from ever experiencing that again. They're like, no, 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 no. Full nope. We're not doing this ever again. Like, I got you. Like, I'm taking over. Like, this isn't going to happen again. I promise. (laughs) Of course, like, they can't promise that. And like, they're very well intended. But like, their approach is very narrow-minded. So, like, in terms of how it impacts our mental state, it's basically, like, almost all of the symptoms of... Trauma, which, you know, irritability, um, loss of routine, inability to focus, crying spells, um, impulsivity, substance abuse, um, food refusal, uh, overexercise, self-loathing, guilt, shame about all the ways our parts are expressing them. It's kind of like that. Um, Lindsay magg's is one of my favorite tarot teachers, and she speaks about the three of swords this way of like something pierces our heart. You know, that's the shock whether it's someone's words or whether it's you know a physical experience and then we we have like it hurts ow pain and then we like Try to escape that pain by kind of figuring it out, or be like, why did this happen? Or like, so there can be like, um, like a spiritual crisis as well in terms of our mental state. Like you, like those beliefs, those decisions. There's usually the sensory that happened, the emotions, and then in the thoughts. When we have those experiences of shock, our brain is like. I'm going to make a decision right now, you know, that the world is unsafe. I'm going to, and then this decision is going to inform the rest of my life. So that sword, that second one is like an attempt to sort of intellectualize and get away from the overwhelm, pain, shock in the body. And then that third sword is like judging ourselves you know, for the ways that our parts are expressing them. Like, oh my gosh, why am, I, why am I not over this yet? Or like sometimes when people are experiencing grief, they're like, why am I not more upset? Like, why am I still able to function? Like, does that mean I don't love this person? Like, does that mean I'm evil? Like all this like worry about what it means, what their response means about themselves and who they are in the world. So it can be kind of like an existential crisis as well. Ooh, I have a big
0: one around. I'm too much. Like when if I would have, I'd have a heartbreak and then like uh, a shock, you know, and then I would have the reaction and then I would have the, you need to shut the fuck up. You're fucking crazy. Like this is, you're too much. You're these emotions are too big, right? Like calm down, like that kind of stuff, which was a lot of the messaging I also got as a little girl, like you need to calm down. Um, that's, that's exactly it. Yeah.
1: Sorry to interrupt. Oh no, that's perfect. Like that, you know, is often the expression of the fight part, the fight part, you know, someone might also call the fight part, the inner critic or the inner bully or the perfectionist or the one that's like, get your fucking shit together. The tough love part. So the fight part, sometimes when we're reacting to a shock, some people that that fight part expresses itself uh, in an external way, like they're mad at everyone, they're blaming everyone else, they pick fights easily, like it goes outward to get away from the internal pain that they're experiencing. But other times, and especially for folks who, you know, grew up in environments like you've described, uh, that five part actually is kind of trained to go against the self because it wasn't safe for it to express in an outward way. Cause there would just be like, you know, more violence or whatever. Right. So it expresses it towards the self in like this really intense verbal violence, sometimes physically violent way, like the fight part at its worst, especially if there's a lot of self-loathing can, you know, really increase suicidal intensity it's like fighting against the self wanting to destroy the self because the self is bad whoa that
0: that really hits hard because the times when I have been when I've had terrible suicidal ideation it's been because my self-talk is like you're fucked up so you're always gonna be alone that's been a lot of or like the way you were made was completely wrong you're too intense, you're too much for people, right? It was just like a lot of it was exactly what you're talking about. So that gives us a lot of clarity. And I love the word fragmented. That's exactly what it feels like. That gives us a lot of clarity about the mental repercussions. But talk to us a little bit about the physical repercussions, like how do shocks impact our bodies? You kind of talked about it.
1: Yeah, we've been talking kind of like about the overwhelm of like the stress hormones kind of pumping through the body. So there's like the physical reaction in the moment and often because we're not taught this in school, we're not even really taught this like by our doctors. It's not really societally acceptable, but when like the best thing that one can do in moments of shock, if you're able to bring that mindful awareness, like you said, is to notice how the body wants to express itself because there's often in a shock it's like um we've talked about the fight part and there's the flight part of kind of like running away through like substances or impulsivity or all the things that get us away from our body but the third part the freeze the freeze part really Uh, they all impact our body, but like the freeze part is often what is happening in the moment of the shock because it is so, it's so much. So our body kind of freezes and like my hands are doing this sort of like extended full palm. Like it's like all my muscles are flexing. There's so much activation in the body, but I'm frozen. And so if we don't have somatic tools of moving the body discharging that energy all of that adrenaline cortisol then it gets stuck in our bodies it just stays there and when it stays there like It's almost like it metastasizes inside of us and literally leads to chronic illness, disease, mental um, instability, like all of these things that are often attributable to more like genetics or food or like whatever. But it, it is often like unprocessed trauma shock overwhelm that is still existing literally in the cells and tissues of the body so that's like one way it impacts like the the shock almost like this because it's trying again it's like a force field that's almost trying to like protect the body um so it's just like like numb shock like frozen and then our bodies can stay in that position and you know, maybe our posture changes, like maybe we slouch more, we're protecting our heart, or maybe we have like a strong wide stance, like with our, fins, our fists, like unconsciously clenched all the time because we're like ready to defend ourselves. Like so many different ways that that shock can become body armoring mm-hmm. inside of us. Whoa. Um, yeah. And then like the one after that is the cement part and that's the one like why people faint (laughs) you know like when something when a shock happens it's like brain is like oh this is way way too much bye bye like it's like your computer like going into power save mode it like takes all the energy away it's like i it like only energy can go to vital organs and so it like shuts down and there might be memory loss so that's another one of the beautiful things about somatics and emdr is like you don't even necessarily have to remember what happened there's an access point through what lives in the body non-verbally to provide resolution from the ways in which shock um gets kind of like, yeah, like stuck in our bodies. Yeah.
0: And I love that you brought up the fact that sometimes you won't remember it because that's that's one thing that I I know. Like I have a very clear memory. My brother was born when I was, I think seven. And I have a very clear memory of holding him and whispering into his ear that I was never gonna let my dad hurt him. Which, of course, like that's not how things ended up. But when I try to think, what are I have? I have clear memories of things happening with my dad that were terrifying after that age, but I can't remember what happened before. Very, I have like maybe one or two memories, but I was clearly at seven years old, I was already so traumatized by my dad that I. The first thing I said to my baby brother was, I'm not going to let him hurt you. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember what those things are. And it's kind of similar with my mom, too. I remember feeling really scared, but I can't I can't quite pinpoint it. And I think that's a really good thing to remember, because we think of shocks as being like, um, how could you forget it? Right. It is. That's kind of like when you think about a shock, it's like, of course, it's going to stand out in your mind. But we may have experienced a shock that we can't maybe it's hazy. And that doesn't mean it wasn't shocking.
1: Yes. it's very common in um, survivors of uh, child sexual abuse to like not have um, memories. Um, And then there can be a lot of like second guessing. um, Did that happen? Am I just making it up? Like it can really invalidate the experience because we think that we should have like a visual memory, but that's often not the case, especially if it's before like, Definitely before age five, but even like age seven, because like our brains just really are not equipped to manage any of that, so there are these things called emotional flashbacks where like all of that memory, like sensory memory, the smells, the taste, the textures, the sounds, the sights those they're they're like fragments, they're like almost like little buttons that live inside of us just like waiting to get pushed by like the external environment, reminding us of an experience that we can't fully remember. And so then someone might have an emotional reaction that to them seems like, Oh, I'm overreacting. Why is this happening? What is wrong with me? I'm so insert the blank when more likely what is happening is you're experiencing an emotional flashback from a traumatic you know, experience that you don't have a visual memory for. And that doesn't mean it didn't happen. And that doesn't mean that you're overreacting. You're literally just reacting and it needs to be met with compassion and curiosity and therapy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) May we all meet our flashbacks with therapy. God damn it. (laughs) For real. Let me ask you this. I think a lot of times when we experience shock, there's an element of grief involved. I can't think of a single time I experienced a shock that didn't involve
1: grief on some level.
0: Can you talk about that relationship between shock and grief?
1: Yeah. So shock essentially protects us from the overwhelming infinite ocean that is grief. Mm -hmm. Like to me, ocean, like the ocean is grief. It's just like vast, and deep, and dark often, it can be, the waves can just hit us all of a sudden, and we're like, where's up from down like what the fuck is happening so a lot of people experience significant amount of anticipatory anxiety about losing loved ones mm-hmm. because they have a strong fear belief that they won't survive their grief and so the body that shock that frozenness or the you know fight part flight part helps us to not feel the vastness and overwhelm and depth of the grief like most humans not really down for grief i've come to actually like really be down with my grief i'm just like fuck yeah let's like wail right now. It's like it's like the Irish in me. I just like want to keen when I lose something I go into this like banshee wailing mode and it's like very delicious. <laughs> but that's just me now. Um.
0: <laughs> I I aspire to this level of grief acceptance because even when you said people feel like they can't survive their grief or something to that effect, I like I could feel my my throat tightening and like feeling choked up. That's how it feels for me. Like if I let myself really feel it, I don't know that I'll make it out of there alive or something. Like that's, that's the feeling. It's not logical. And I don't think that I would hurt myself. What I'm saying is like that pain is so intense that I just, it's like, how would I even move? Like, how would I move my body in the morning?
1: Yeah, exactly. And there's also like, um, the shock and grief and then typically after that or in between like it's not linear at all but there's also this fear of the unknown both like in that anticipatory anxiety of loss you know that can also be like oh what if i lost my job like what if i like those what if cognitive distortions uh, like the fear of the unknown which makes me think about the moon tarot card, which is like all about like being in the void and like you have no control and you don't really know what's happening and everything's like kind of murky. And like, it's just like, this is like the worst feeling in the whole fucking world. Like, I don't want to experience this ever. Hashtag 2020, you know? (laughs) Hashtag 2022? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) hashtag like the rest of life. But (laughs) So there's like the fear of the unknown that is also kind of like protecting us away from the grief like if i really accepted if i really met my grief with compassion and presence and like accepted what i've lost or what has happened to me whether that was like the childhood i didn't get to have or the uh, love i didn't get to have or the person that I lost, like whatever it is, if I truly accepted that and felt that, what would that mean for me? What would that mean for my life? Like everything would be different. Grief changes us in this beautiful, spiritual, like alchemical way, but it's like, that's a lot. Like your whole life will change. And that is really scary for our human brains that like order and, Predictability, especially for trauma survivors. Right. I know it's so much. That
0: one's so big. Yeah. That one is so big. Thank you. Cause that actually, I pulled the moon last night and I was like, God. Oh my God. Fucking damn it. Yeah. I really relate to that feeling. I, I, yeah. Yes. What are some healing techniques you've found to be successful with clients who've experienced a shock?
1: Well, since we're already on the subject of tarot (laughs) and spirituality, like, yeah, definitely spiritual tools, like in particular, like I'm thinking about the journey in the tarot from the tower to the star, to the moon, to the sun, like those four cards, like These, like, conceptual, symbolic, archetypal journeys can sometimes help us to, one, make meaning of what we're experiencing, which brings the volume of the overwhelm down, and two, it helps us move through it. It helps us keep going, keep going on the spiral. So, like, with the tower, it's like, boom! Oh, wow, like wasn't expecting that whole thing to come crashing down like it's a shock yeah let's tell for people who aren't familiar with tarot the tower if
0: you pull if you look at the fucking card it's so terrifying it's a, li- it's a literal tower that's on fire with people yes. hanging out the windows like trying to jump out it is so scary and when you pull it it essentially means there's a big upheaval coming like there is a big like something's a- and something's about to fall apart right because that's the thing about the towers the towers falling down this structure that was holding you is about to fucking fall And what Solasta is referring to in terms of the journey and the spiral is that the tarot isn't just about, it's not like individual cards like that aren't connected. The tarot has a story and all the cards go in an order because what it does is it shows you, for example, after the tower is the star and the star is about healing. So after the tower falls, and this is the gorgeous thing about the tower falling, The reason the tower falls, it doesn't just fall because everyone hates you or, or you're unlucky or all the things that I love to invest in, (laughs) it falls because its foundation can't hold you in the way that you need. Right. And so like, actually I pulled the tower before I was assaulted by my roommate. Wow. And, um, and I also pulled the seven of swords, which is a betrayal card. So essentially, it was saying, like, you've invested all of this stuff in this guy who you like, think is your best friend. He's not and you're about to find out that this, this relationship, this friendship can't hold you in the way that you think it can. And it has to come down so that you can do the star work, which is healing therapy and finding relationships with people who can really be the container for you that you need really support you in the way that you need and love you in the way that you need. Right. But of course, in these tower moments, we're just like, fuck everything. But but that's the beauty of the tarot in case anyone's interested in it is that it reminds you that something it's it's just not it's not like the tower happens and the sun fucking sets the curtain closes and your life is over that's it the star comes after that and that's part of this journey that we're all on all
1: of us are on this journey okay sorry to interrupt you oh so beautiful thank you for articulating that like with the star like Lindsay mack talks about it as like the nervous system healer and we've been talking throughout this entire conversation about how the nervous system, our body is so deeply impacted and shock. So, you know, another way of addressing that somatics. And there's literally like, I mean, literally infinite ways to meet the body in like a somatic healing way. And the most beautiful news about that is actually like every single person right now in this moment has that wisdom, like the codes to their own body somatic healing within their body. So even though we have this shock and this trauma and these like parts that operate in this way that can be like rigid and not what we want, we also have the resources, the knowing, the, the memories about how we got through those traumatic instances. And we have our beautiful bodies that want to help us. So in sensory motor psychotherapy, for example, if you were in a car crash, there's typically like a movement, like a protective movement that the body wanted to make. Or Like covering your face or something like that. Yeah, covering your face, putting your arm up, but it didn't get to. And so that um, movement, that protective movement that your body wanted to make in that moment didn't get to be fully expressed. And so when we, you know, do this both in therapy, but can also be like done on our own, like through an authentic movement type practice, a journal nearby us and like, you know, some resources, nourishingness, like afterwards, we can get really curious about waiting for the impulse to move in our body, trapped movements in the body that's like pushing away, whether that's screaming, whether that's shaking our head, whether that's typically there's a lot of pushing away because it's this like, no, or this like protective um, gesture that didn't get to happen Mm. so by getting curious when you feel your parts acting up the fight part the flight part whatever bringing some awareness to like how does the body want to move like maybe it wants to like punch the air. <laughs> Maybe it wants to punch the bed. Maybe it wants to like walk, like run away. Like sometimes we didn't get to run away. Kids don't really get to run away from their family. So there is often like that flight response that didn't get to happen expresses itself through substances, etc. So we can allow that uh, flight response to happen through allowing ourselves to run away, like physically. Like I'm going on a run Oh, I
0: love that because it's, I love what you said about sometimes we want to, we couldn't run away then. So we run away through drugs. We run away through sex, like whatever it looks like. And it's like, let's shift that to actually physically run the fuck away. Yes. Physically. We're just going to go on a run. I love that.
1: Yes. So there's like physical practice resource as a way of healing. um, And there's creatives like that's really one of my favorite containers, thresholds, portals, whatever you want to call it to hold, especially the fight part. When it's activated, because it can be really scary to people when they're either like experiencing the inner bully towards themselves or maybe they're feeling rageful towards other people or places or whatever, and then they feel bad about themselves or shame about the amount of rage that they feel and thus creative expression for those darker expressions is really important whether that's like writing a super emo song whether that's like putting on a playlist that's like your angry playlist or your sad playlist and like moving to it whether that's automatic like journaling just like You know, letting it all out, taking the thoughts and the feelings that are inside and giving them somewhere else to go. It's kind of like a container because ultimately, and that's one of the first steps in EMDR is containment. So they often will, like, you know, like, oh, like, let's, what would be like a container that you like want to put all this activation into? Mine is like this. It's almost like one of those like uh, Mario pipes, but with like a, a a latch on top with like these plastic latches that close it. And it's like in my backyard in front of like these big trees. That's where I put my activation. So you can use your imagination to also contain the parts and the activation and the feelings and the grief that maybe feels too much. It's like choiceful, compartmentalization compartmentalization kind of gets a bad rep. it's like oh you're like avoiding man which like yes people do compartmentalize and avoid things but we also do have to survive and so as long as we bring mindful choice and almost like a harm reduction way that can be another way we can start to build containment in the imaginal plane and then over time it becomes embodied in ourselves
0: oh my god Fuck yeah, that's so great because I've never thought about compartmentalization being potentially healthy. Mm-hmm. I yeah, you're right. Sometimes it's like, whoa ho, can't can't do that right now. We're gonna put that in the old backyard pipe. <laughs> for a minute till we can revisit it at a, at a later date when we're ready. Yeah. Makes sense.
1: Exactly. And then you can be like, okay, this is my care plan. Like before I do this, you know, journaling session or this ritual or this, or even like talking with a friend beforehand, I'm going to do these nourishing things for myself. Then I'm going to do the thing where I'm like with the grief, I'm with the emotions, I'm with whatever. And then afterwards I'm going to watch my favorite Disney channel, original movie with my stuffed animal. Mm. So you can kind of prepare discharge, feel, uh, and then soothe. The soothing part is really, really important. And for some people that's physical, for some people that's spiritual. Like I found a lot of healing in doing research on what were the traditional ways that my people grieved. And that's how I found out about keening which is this Irish practice. It's like this song wailing Mm. that happens. It's like one of the most beautiful and haunting things I've, Ever heard. And the more I allowed myself in moments of loss or shock, pain, betrayal, to put my hands on those swords that was piercing my heart and just wail, it was like the keening naturally came out. So it says beautiful ancestral memory. You're not alone. Like your well ancestors are here with you, your guides. Everyone has different language for that. But I really do believe spirituality. Um, whether that's through you know, like the the spirit of music can be incredibly containing and healing um, for those kinds of experiences.
0: Well, I'm also part Irish, so I'm going to look that up for sure. And I also really like what you said about prepare, discharge, feel and soothe. Is that, did I get that right? Yes. Yeah. So it's like, if you think, that if you're preparing to go into something where you think you might be, where a shock thing might get triggered, yeah, you can be like, okay, I'm gonna prepare for this. This is what the preparing looks like. I'm gonna feel, I'm gonna discharge the feelings and then I'm gonna like block out the rest of the night to get my furry blanket and get in bed and hold a stuffed animal and
1: soothe. Yes. And I really think that's like the, one of the hardest things for people when it comes to shock and loss is really giving themselves permission to take as much time as they need when the wave comes, because it's, it's, it usually comes suddenly. And if we allow it, if we like accept it, we're like accept that the wave is coming whether like if we're at work, like, can you go to the bathroom for a couple of minutes? Can you leave the building and go on a walk? Like if you're at home, like, can you clear your fucking schedule and just really meet this? Because the long-term impact of meeting yourself in that in the moment are substantial in like a beneficial way, rather than overriding it and like trying to shut it down. Obviously we have to do that sometimes, but It would be ideal if we were just given the spaciousness to feel what is coming up and meet it. And then that teaches, you know, those younger parts of ourselves that you're not too much. You can survive this. We're here together. It's actually going to be okay. Mm.
0: Had to take a deep breath on that one.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And also we are mammals. We need each other. So like group grieving practices... And for me, like that's kind of what I was doing Monday at this dance session was really just being with people. And yeah, I'm like doing my own thing, but I'm also with others. And so we really need each other. It's important to have like solo grieving and it's okay to have that for yourself. But there is something really important and natural and hardwired within us as mammals to really be together. And then so we have to address those societal taboos about what prevents us from being honest and caring towards one another when we are in the ocean of grief right that's so important
0: and i think as americans as you and i are there's so much pressure so much bullshit pressure around pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and like don't
1: Uh, you
0: know no one has the time no one wants to hear it go to work right like all this stuff that kind of makes us feel really shitty about needing other people in our times of, um, of that, when that grief and those shot, those trauma shocks come up and the grief that's associated with them. Yeah. We, we just need to get over that. So it's so unhealthy. We and it's like literally why I made this podcast.
1: (laughs) I I don't want to keep doing this shit alone. Cause then we'll just keep compartmentalizing and dissociating. And like, now we have a world where like it's flooding in San Francisco.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. Because global warming isn't real because Exxon needs more money. Don't you know? Uh (laughs) Celesta, is there anything we haven't talked about
1: that you wanted to add to the conversation? I think the only other, the one and a half things I want to add is like, we talked about the tower to the star moon being like, you know, if I accept this healing, like how, like what's going to happen? Like now my life is changed. Like what's the pathway forward? Like that unknown, um, but then like after the moon is the sun, mm. you know, and the sun, the way Lindsay Mack teaches it, is like that's really the first time in that twenty-one card journey that you see your external circumstances change. Like that whole nineteen card journey is like, it's so internal. And so there is really a huge, beautiful opportunity when we, you know, choose to feel and we choose to heal and we choose to be in relationship with ourselves and others in the world. And it's the sun. So like, that's just a bit of sunny hope. And it's like now really sunny outside. It's not raining here anymore. So wanted to bring in the sun card as a reminder of like, why are we doing this? Right. What the fuck is like? What's the payoff? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Like there is. Um, And then the last thing I wanted to say is just with the changing of the beliefs from those decision moments, again, biased as a somatic psychotherapist, but like I hear often from clients who've been in therapy or been doing their healing work for some time, they're like, I know this isn't logical. I know the way I feel. I know that I'm worthy. I know that I'm loved. Like I know these things conceptually, but my body, my heart does not fucking believe it. It cannot feel it. It's not embodied. It's not integrated from the mind down into the rest of us. And so that is just another reason why holistic, holistic, embodied spiritual somatic emotional healing can really bring us full circle into congruence into wholeness because there's so much shadow that lives in the body that we're not acknowledging so like the beliefs can't just be cognitive they have to be embodied inside of us we have to be able to feel it and locate it inside of us and that takes practice And
0: I can't even tell you how many times I have said those exact words to my therapist. Like, I know that I'm (laughs) going to be okay or whatever. I know that like, I'm not a piece of shit that nobody gives a fuck about whatever, but I don't feel it. I can't feel it. Yeah. And I, you know, after, for example, after um, Roe v. Wade was overturned, a friend of mine and I, we went into the desert and we screamed and screamed and screamed and screamed because I just, it was a shock. It was grief. It was traumatizing and it was in my body. It was totally in my body. And so I, I really appreciate you bringing that back in that somatic piece because it's so important and it's so real and it's, and it's, it's such a deep part of the healing process. Celesta, you're wonderful. I adore you.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: I adore you. Oh, my God. If I fucking adore you. How can people reach you if they if they want to contact you?
1: Yes, my email is hello at fullandplentyjoy.com. It's also my website, Full and Plenty Joy, really big on like, yeah, why it's important to feel everything. And so that's a lot of the work that I do with clients in California with somatic psychotherapy or clients in person in New York with like energy and somatic healing work um, or virtually really anywhere with more spiritual guidance, tarot, etc., so you can find me on my website or um, you can listen to In InBetwixt, which is, it's just a seasonal podcast that I was linking up with another non-binary clinician that's about feeling and like channeling as a way of healing and understanding psychology. So I talk about that in my weekly newsletter, theme of the moment to kind of help orient us as well. So those are all the places you can find me and it's all at. Full and plentyjoy.com.
0: Amazing. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Insta at the Patrama Party or on my personal Insta at Remy's R-E-M-E-E-Z. You can also email me at patramaparty at gmail.com. If you have a topic you'd like to hear covered, hit me up. Also, if you want to join the Pachama Party community, you can find us on Facebook. It's such a cool group of listeners. We check in with each other about the stuff we're going through and offer support and resources. So if you're into that, just search the Pachama Party and I'll add you. Speaking of support, if this pod has helped you and you have a minute, rate, review, subscribe. It really does help. I read all the reviews and they mean so much to me. And if you'd like to support the pod, you can. You can give a dollar a month, five dollars, Whatever. I pour myself into this podcast. I put so much time and energy into it. So if you're able and move to just go to anchor.fm forward slash the Pachama party and scroll down to the support button. You can also find the support option on Spotify and until next time, baby, enjoy the party. Bye.